Welcome to the Songwriter Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Vidala, and we're going to talk about music theory, lyric writing, creative productivity, inspiration, and more. I'm super excited to have you here, so let's dive into the episode. Hello, friend. So, if you are tracking with us and you are joining us more or less live on August 7th in 2019, then you are joining us for this Lyric Writing Tools Week. And it's now day three. And yesterday, I said how yesterday's podcast, I was pretty sure was the first podcast ever to be released on a Tuesday, because all of our podcasts come out on Monday. So this would be our first Wednesday podcast. So that's cool. And we are on day three of our lyric writing tools. And today, we are talking about foreshadowing. So, foreshadowing is something that we often more associate with stories, whether that be books or shows or movies. Um, But it can also be used really effectively in our songs. Um, For an idea of some examples of foreshadowing in movies, um, if you've seen The Incredibles, earlier in the movie, Edna um, is talking with Mr. Incredible, because Mr. Incredible has come to ask for her to make him a new suit, and he wants a cape. And she says no, and explains why no, and gives a long list of examples of how past heroes were done in by having a cape. So it's not a good idea to have a cape. So she refuses to give him a cape. And that scene serves as foreshadowing for the ultimate fate of the villain, Syndrome, who does have a cape. And one of the things that she mentions is um, the the one hero who is sucked into a jet turbine, and that's what ends up happening to Syndrome, which is pretty dark for a kid's movie, if you think about it. So that would be an example of foreshadowing, right? There's something that you're told earlier in the movie that hints towards something that's going to come. Or another example, this one... Uh, certainly a bit more subtle is Jurassic Park. In Jurassic Park, towards the beginning, um, the main character, I am blanking on his name right now, but the main character is um, sort of showing some fossils to different people. He, he has yet to you know, go to the island or anything. It might even be his introductory scene, I don't remember. He's talking about Velociraptor. Some really annoying kid is like, it's just like a big chicken and says how lame it is or something. And then he explains to him how the raptor would kill him, which is actually kind of, I feel like, not okay to say to a, a kid the way the details he goes into. But it's funny and the kid's really annoying, so in the movie it works. Um And he explains how there would be the one raptor that would just stare at you. And you stare back at the raptor. And then the other two raptors would come from the side. So the attack's not coming from the front. 
as you lock eyes with the one raptor that's in front of you. And he goes on to say more things, but that foreshadows the eventual death of Robert Muldoon, who's the um, sort of the the game warden of of the film, where his his sort of death scene is he sees a raptor who just stares back at him, and he's getting his gun out to shoot the raptor, and then a raptor comes from the side, and he looks at the raptor before it attacks him and says, clever girl. Um, and, you know, you know the rest. So that's foreshadowed earlier in the film by the fact that the main character, you know, saying to this little kid who's been a punk, he sort of tells him how a raptor would kill its prey. Kill the little kid in this case. I say little kid. He's, he's probably like 12 or something. Um, so that, that moment is foreshadowed and it's sort of one of those things that when he says clever girl and you see what happens, if you were paying attention earlier in the movie, you're like, Oh, now it's not so obvious that you, um, saw it coming probably, but even if you did, it sort of adds another layer of like, Oh no, I see where this is going. So regardless of whether you found it obvious or not, or even if you didn't notice it at all, it really takes nothing away. The only thing that foreshadowing can do is sort of add to it, add depth to it, it's, it and add a little cleverness to it. And we can do the same thing in our music. So a good example of foreshadowing in a song is The Cats in the Cradle. Now this is definitely more on the obvious side, I would say. Um, but again... There's nothing wrong with obvious foreshadowing. Now, you, you could choose obvious or subtle foreshadowing for different effects. Um, the more subtle you go, the more risk there is that people won't even notice it at all. And you're sort of going for clever points at that point. Or something way in the back of their mind, it just seems familiar. It seems like, oh, that that somehow that makes sense. I don't know why it makes sense that this is the conclusion, but it somehow does. Um Whereas a more obvious foreshadowing um, sort of results in this tension that's added. Because the whole time, you know, you're, you're, you're hoping that what you think or know is going to eventually happen doesn't. And that gives you sort of that tension. Um, you can almost see it as the the Star Wars prequel series effect where like, you know that Anakin is, is destined to become Darth Vader, but well, he's actually annoying enough in the movies that you probably don't care. But assuming he was actually likable, you know, and you're, you're pulling for him. He's the hero, right? Like you, you want, you want him to not do what you know he's going to do. And that sort of adds that tension of, of, of well, when, when's it going to happen? Um, so there's certainly different effects depending on more or less obvious, but we're going to just run through these lyrics and sort of look at how foreshadowing is used. So the song opens with this. Uh, my child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way, but there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away and he was talking for I knew it. And as he grew, he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know I'm going to be like you. 
So his son's born, right? And he eventually learns to talk and to walk. And this whole time, the narrator, the singer, his dad is away. Um, but the son still idolizes his father and says, I'm going to be like you, dad. You know, I'm going to be like you. And then you have the first course, which is, and then the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man on the moon. When you come home, when you come home, when you coming home, dad, I don't know when, but we'll get together then, you know, we'll have a good time then. So the stage is set. And then we get to go to the second verse. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. I've got, I got a lot to do, he said. That's okay. And he walked away, but his smile never dimmed. It said, I'm going to be like him. Yeah, you know, I'm going to be like him. So this time, uh, the son wants to play ball with his dad. And the dad, again, says he's too busy. And the son again says, I'm going to be like him. You know, I'm going to be like him. So twice now, we've had the father not be there for the son. Not spend time for the son when the son wants to spend time with his dad. And then the son still sort of feels proud of his dad or idolizes his dad and says, I'm going to be like you. I'm going to be like him. You know I'm going to be like him. And then the second chorus is the same as the first. So then the tide begins to turn a little bit. And because we've already, we've already, it's, it's twice it's been said, the son says, I'm going to be like you. Or I'm going to be like him, depending on which verse. Either one talking about the father. We already know how this is going to end, right? Like, the son is still idolizing the father, and the son is still taking after the father. And the son says he's going to become like the father. And the father's not paying any attention to him. The father's not making time for him. So let's see how this develops. Well, he came from college just the other day, so much like a man I just had to say. Son, I'm proud of you. Can you sit for a while? He shook his head and he said with a smile, what I'd really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Can I have them, please? So this is the first time, right, that the tide has really begun to turn. And now it's the son saying, nope, no thanks. Now you have time for me, but nope, I got this other thing to do. And then the chorus changes to, and the cast in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man on the moon, that part's the same. When you coming home, son, I don't know when, but we'll get together then, dad. You know, we'll have a good time then. So now the son is echoing back at his father what his father always was saying to him. And then the tragedy's really finished off uh, by the end of the song. Um, which goes like this. I've long since retired and my son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I could find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle and the kids have the flu. But it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's sure been nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me. He'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man on the moon. When you coming home, son, I don't know when, but we'll get together then, dad. We're going to have a good time then. 
So the tragedy is finally wrapped up at the end, especially with those lines. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. So that's foreshadowed right away in the first verse, right? The little, the little tiny kid that just learned to talk and walk and wasn't born that long ago looked up at his dad and said, I'm going to be like you. And that's what happened. You know, the, the, the writer isn't hiding that. If anything, he's foreshadowing it multiple times, right? Like, like he, he keeps saying that over and over. At the end of every verse comes, uh, you know, I'm going to be like you. Because it, it needs to feel inevitable. And that sort of adds to the tragedy. Because the whole time, you kind of want to like scream at the dad. Like, no, spend time with your son. I know how this story ends. And the fact that you... The, for, the foreshadowing allows you to sort of know or at least sense how the story will end. Which sort of gives you that, that, that time travel effect, right? Where if you know the future of somebody or, or, you know, you have that friend, right? Who you see them going down a destructive path. Maybe you've been on that destructive path before, you know, maybe you had a alcohol problem or something and you see your friend sort of, you know, getting a little more drunk than they should at, at, at parties and, or, you know, whatever. And you sort of see them going down the path or, you know, for example, or, you know, you saw their parents fall into a certain, trap and now you're seeing them start to do it it's 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 sort of that same effect where like you know how this story ends and that 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 trying to pull this person away from the what seems like the inevitable tragedy that it's going to become is sort of where where the power comes from in in this specific instance of foreshadowing it's it's almost like you getting a glimpse of how the story ends to bring the tragedy of everything together. So, you know, sort of the whole time, um, but you're kind of helpless and can't do anything about it. Right. Cause it's just a song. So the beauty of foreshadowing is that depending again, like I said before, depending on the effect you, you would like, you can be as obvious or as subtle as you prefer. Uh, the subtle is going to get you more, you know, clever points maybe. Fewer people will notice. And it will sort of help to m just plant the seed in someone of, of, of the song's conclusion. It might not be obvious to them, but when it happens, it sort of seems like, oh, that makes sense. Um, sort of like the whole clever girl thing from Jurassic Park. Um, to be honest, I don't know if, especially the first time I saw the movie, I noticed that that was foreshadowed earlier, but I remember thinking somehow this makes sense when the, you know, clever girl scene happened because it was subtle. Whereas, you know, this is the example from, from the song cat, the cast in the cradle. It's, it's obvious, but that adds to the tension, um, which is really, I think, what the song's going for. So, overall, foreshadowing can really help to add tension and intrigue, which, because with foreshadowing, you, you sort of, like, you want to see how it ends. Like, is it going to end the way I, I feel like it's going to? 
or the way, you know, if, if it's more obvious foreshadowing, the way I know or the way I feel is being foreshadowed this ends, um, which can add to intrigue. And anything that can add more tension and intrigue is going to make something more compelling. A lot of what we want to do with our music is to add tension and intrigue. And, you know, often those are done, those things are done musically. You know, there's lots of ways in our chord structure and in the notes we choose and the chord progressions we choose and lots of different things that, that can sort of add tension and then take away tension and bring tension back. And intrigue, you know, intrigue is, is, is sort of another way to look at interest. And, and you know, I've, I've talked about this before, but, you know, there's sort of that unwritten rule of you want to sort of give something new for the listener to to pique their interest, to keep their, you know, to add intrigue, if you will, uh, every four measures or so, you know, whether that be adding a new instrument or changing up an instrumental part or singing a slightly different melody or whatever that might be. And foreshadowing really is a great way to add tension and intrigue. So I think it's a great tool to use with songs. It, like I said before, it's more often used in, in, you know, movies and, and books and shows and, and things that are more story driven than your average song. But, uh, Cast in the Cradle is well known as just, you know, just tragic song. And I think, I think a lot is added by the foreshadowing it has. So hopefully that inspires you to, Try it out for yourself, you know, with the next song you write or with a song you write sometime soon. Uh, think about how you can maybe add foreshadowing to it, especially if it's a more story-driven song. And I think that that will help uh, make your song even more tension-filled and intriguing and will just help it be an even better song. Thanks for listening to the Songwriter Theory Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and tell a friend. If you want to jumpstart your songwriting, be sure to download my free guide on 10 proven ways to start writing a song at songwritertheory.com slash free guide. Whether you're brand new to songwriting or a seasoned vet, this guide will help you to avoid staring at a blank page wondering where to start. Even if you just want to figure out some different ways to start writing a song, this free guide is for you.